0: Welcome to the Less Doing Podcast, where you will learn how to start living more by doing less. Let me help you optimize, automate, and outsource your entire life so you can focus on doing the things you love. Now here's your host, Ari Meisel. All
1: right, so welcome to the Less Doing Podcast. Mr. Ryan Levesque, uh, I feel like, if, I love when I have people on where you're like, this This person needs no intro. You know, I feel like uh, if you've been on the internet, then you've seen you, even if you don't necessarily know who you are. Uh, but let's let's dig into a little bit of that. And there's a bunch of questions I want to ask you about the new book, Choose, but it's always worth getting into some background. I think it gives people better context for things, right? So you are the uh, number one national best-selling author of Ask, right? Which is like, it was the number one marketing book of the year when it came out. and How did you get into this world of internet marketing?
2: It's a great question. So, you know, for me, I I got started, I was working a corporate job outside of college. Uh, I was working in finance originally in New York city. And then I spent about five years in China, which was what I thought was my dream job. And I reached this point, Ari, where I was traveling every single day of the week. I was living out of hotels. I was on a plane. I was married, but my wife was doing her graduate program in Hong Kong. I was based in Shanghai, so we had this crazy, like, bi-country marriage. And I had some friends of mine back home in the U.S. who were kind of quietly making money on the Internet. And this was, like, 2005, 2006. And one of my friends traveled to visit me in Shanghai, and he was telling me everything that he was doing. And he told me uh, uh, about this book. And and on a whim, I decided to download this book on Audible uh, before we went to this trip to Malaysia and the book was 4-Hour Workweek. And I read that book, or listened to that book, I should say, on the beach uh, in Kota Kanabalu in Malaysia. And it was one of those vacations where, like, I couldn't relax because I was just obsessed. I was like, this is the path. And um, I, when I first got started, my dream was to make $10,000 a month. That was, like, my big dream, $10,000 a month. I was like, if I can make $10,000 a month in passive income, um, like, I'd never want to work another day of my life. Um, and so uh, 2008 hit. Uh, it took me a little bit of time to actually get into action. And I woke up one day, Ari, and the Wall Street Journal uh, on my, uh, in my office at the company I was working for, which was AIG, the financial uh, insurance company, literally read AIG to file for bankruptcy. And that day, I turned in my resignation letter to my boss, told my wife, I said, I'm going to finally do it. And two weeks later, I had sold everything that I owned except for a suitcase. I moved in with my wife in student housing. She was, in, in, she was doing a PhD program. Um, and uh, we started our first little business. So that's kind of how it all got started. And what was that business? That business, you're going to laugh, mm-hmm. was teaching people how to make Scrabble Tile jewelry. So uh, Scrabble really? Tile jewelry, like jewelry naturally, right? It's like so the, that, was your, that was your muse. That was my muse. <laughs> exactly. You know, and it was, it was funny the way we got started with that is my wife, um, she was following this relatively new website at the time and it was called Etsy.com and Etsy's huge now, but at the time it was just a small little startup and there was this craze happening on Etsy and Etsy for anyone not familiar is like eBay for handmade goods. So if you make jewelry, if you knit, if you crochet, if you make paintings, things like that, it's, it's for, for people who craft and, and, and make handmade products. And there was this jewelry that was, a, that was like this craze, and it was using Scrabble tiles, origami paper, and resin to make these sort of beautiful tiles that you would wear as a pendant or bracelets and things like that. And so anyways, she said, listen, we're in Asia. We can get all this origami paper. We can set up a factory in China. We can have people make this jewelry super cheap. And I was like, no way. This sounds terrible. Um, And then a couple days later, she comes back to me and she says, I wanna tell you about that Scrabble tile thing. I was like, no, no, I thought we killed it. And she said, no, no, time out a second. There's this woman who's not making the jewelry. She's teaching people how to make the jewelry. And get this, she's selling this uh, tutorial for like 30 bucks and she's selling like 20 of them a day. And we did the math and it was just a digital PDF selling nothing but information. And that was the thing that got me on this path to selling what we call education and expertise. And uh, we went into that same business. We, we realized the product she was creating wasn't very good. We built a better mousetrap. And before long, we were making almost $10,000 a month teaching people how to make jewelry using Scrabble tiles, origami paper, and a few other supplies. And that was the first little business that we, uh, that we started.
1: So how did you, you know, move from that to making a lot more than $10,000 a month in spite of your uh, you know your your diminutive
2: goals. Yeah, you know, uh, well it's funny. I learned in that business Ari, I learned one of the first lessons that I that I teach in our in my book choose. And that's this. I learned the importance of not going into a fad market instead of going after an evergreen market because I wish that story had a happy ending, but we made about $10,000 a month for a few months and then that fad just started dropping off a cliff. The market became saturated. Everybody started teaching people how to make Scrabble Tile jewelry. And uh, the market basically went to nothing. But the problem was at this point, we're in a tiny little 450 square foot apartment in Hong Kong. My wife gets $500 a month for her PhD stipend. I'm making no money at all at this point because I quit my job. And we kind of had that moment where we looked at each other and said like, oh, crap, (laughs) what are we going to do now?
1: It's an explosive podcast. Don't worry.
2: Yeah, <laughs> we, um, she, she finished her PhD program. She gets a job. We moved back to the States, moved back to Texas. She gets a job as a museum curator. So her PhD was in history and she's an art history. That's her, her discipline. So she gets a job as a museum, museum curator and it pays $36,000 a year, which is what museum jobs pay. So we moved back to Brownsville, Texas and we said, okay, what did we learn from this experience? And I said, well, one of the biggest lessons I learned is that you can't go into a fad market. In fact, one of the things I teach in the book, I say there are five market must haves, five things you want to be looking for in every single market. And one of them is you want to go after an evergreen market, meaning a market that's going to be relevant 10 years. It was relevant 10 years ago. It's going to be relevant 10 years from now. And um, so I looked at the longest lasting hobby in America. And the oldest hobby in America is gardening. So I started looking at different niches within the gardening space. And it's crazy. It's something like 200 million Americans garden in some way, shape, or form. So it's a market that's been around 100 years ago likely to be around hundred years from now. And we eventually settled on the orchid care market. And so I went into this space that I knew nothing about. Once again, I knew nothing about Scrabble tile jewelry, knew nothing about orchid care, but I saw, as I explained in the book, that there, there were signs that there was demand in the market. Uh, there was a, there was an imbalance in demand for information and the uh, supply of that information. And so went into that little business and uh, took that business from nothing to $25,000 a month in 18 months, so a year and a half, took nothing to $25,000 a month, gave us the confidence for my wife to quit her job, went into the next market, took that market to half a million dollars a year, and here we are, 10 years later, a little over 10 years later, we landed on the Inc. 500 list, fastest growing companies in America, we passed $10 million a year in revenue. Um, I've gone into 23 different markets since then, and the book walks through the process that we use to choose each of those markets, and something that we've now taught when I say we uh, my, my company and I we've taught literally thousands of entrepreneurs how to decide what business to start uh, based on that experience and the research surrounding it
1: so let, let's just give a quick treatment to ask because you know it is it is uh, required reading you know from for marketing in my opinion right like you, it's It's just a really important understanding for most people to have that, so before we get into into choose so how how did you? sort of crystallize, you know, the, the ask method.
2: Totally. So, so ask for anyone who's not familiar with, uh, that's the book that you mentioned, um, in the, in your very generous and kind intro. Uh, the book, um, is, uh, it's a book that like you mentioned, went on to sell hundreds of thousands of copies was the number one marketing book of the year, according to Inc magazine. And uh, basically it's a book that teaches the methodology to figure out exactly what people want to buy before creating it, before selling it. And that process is rather counterintuitive because whenever I introduce this idea of asking, people always say, well, do you just ask people what they want and then give it to them? And, and the answer is not exactly, right? The, the questions that you need to ask to figure that out are counterintuitive. You can't walk through the front door. Um, you know, inevitably someone will say, well, you know, Henry Ford He said, um, people don't know, you know, if I would ask people what they wanted, they would have told me faster horses. Faster horses. And and Steve Jobs is famous for saying, people don't know what they want until you actually show it to them. And the reason why those quotes ring true is because they are true. You can't just ask people what they want. You have to ask somewhat counterintuitive questions to figure out what it is that people want. So that book went on to become number one national bestseller. Literally thousands of companies around the world now use that methodology to figure out what to sell what products to create, what language to use in their messaging so that it resonates at a deep emotional level with their market. Now, as successful as that book was, one of the things that frustrated me Ari, the most was that I would get letters from readers, people who read the book, they followed the process to the letter and they would reach out and say, Ryan, I followed your process, but I still failed. And when I started doing some digging and looking into the single biggest reason why people were failing in spite of following the process, it all came down to one thing. It all came down to the fact that they followed the process, but they chose the wrong market. They chose bad markets. And the metaphor that I use is it's like this. It's like uh, starting a business is like putting a, a raft in the water, right? And you can have the best raft. You can have the best equipment. You can have the best crew. You can paddle 18 hours a day and bust your butt, but if you put your raft in the river pointed in the wrong direction, you're never gonna to get to your destination. And worse yet, if you put your raft in a river that doesn't have any water, you're never gonna to get to where you wanna go. And that's what I found. I found that I taught people how to paddle, how to put that raft in the river, how to build the best possible cue, how to do all of those things, but I overlooked, the assumption that people knew what direction to put their raft in the water. And it came down to being the single biggest mistake why people were failing. And that's why I was inspired to really embark on a, on a three-year research project since the book came out uh, till now to write the second book, Choose, which is really the prequel, the single biggest decision yeah. you need to make before starting your business.
1: So, um, and just one more thing on the on ask method, right? So could you give an example of what one of those counterintuitive kind of questions might be?
2: Totally. Yeah. So um, I'll give you, uh, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. So uh, people don't know what they want in life. In fact, if I were to, you've done a fair bit of hiring, right? Like you have that your Mm -hmm. whole system and you've done a fair bit of hiring. And if you can think back to the very first time you hired someone for one of your micro tasks or one of the um, kind of elements that you've, you've outsourced that you've passed along, think about that. Think about the very first person that you've hired. You think you know what you want, right? You think you know what you're looking for. And for most of us, inevitably that first person doesn't quite work out right? And it's after that experience, we realize, ah, you know what, actually, I don't want someone who's like this. I don't want someone like who's like that. And so that gives us the first clue as to what type of questions to ask. People don't know what they want, but they do know what they don't want. If I ask you, if I say, you know, think about the car you're driving right now. If I say, what's, what's the, what's your dream car? Well, you're going to, you're going to speculate. You're going to project. You're going to imagine what your dream car might be but it's a guess. You're accessing a part of your brain that's just speculating into the future. But if I asked you, I would say, Ari, think about your car right now. And you may not have a car in New York City, but- I do, think about I do. I have four guess. kids. <laughs> okay, perfect. So, so think about the car you drive right now and think about what's the thing that annoys the crap out of you more than anything else? What's the one thing, one thing about your car that just annoys you? It could be the cup holder. It could be the GPS. It could be, it could be the seats. It could be something. Most of us can think of one thing, right? So that's the first clue. So a question that you can ask people to start to get clarity on what it is that they want is by asking them, when it comes to the car you're driving right now, for example, what's your biggest frustration, challenge, or thing that you would love to change, right? When it comes to growing your business, what's your single biggest challenge, frustration, or question you have right now? When it comes to growing your orchids, what's your biggest challenge or frustration or question that you have right now? And what you're looking for with that, RE, and this is all part of the ask method, and we won't spend too much time going into this, but just to bring it full circle, is you're looking for people who give you the long, detailed, passionate answers. Because if you tell me, you say, oh, the seatbelts, and that's it, I might pay attention to that, but I'm going to pay more attention if you tell me something like, oh my God, dude, like the GPS sucks right? Like you have to go through six menus on this GPS. It's slow. It lags. I don't know why you have to type in all the buttons like this. I can do Google maps in a fraction of the time it takes for my GPS. I paid, you know, $80,000 for this car. I have no idea why they put this GPS uh, in there. Well, I've got a pretty good clue that that's a frustration for you. And based on the language you've used, now I can echo that back when I'm talking about my product. Maybe it's a better GPS, right? Does your GPS suck? you have to click through six menus just to find the damn address? Well, never again will you have to do that with this new and improved GPS, and here's how it works. Because I've echoed back that language. And so that gives you clues into a glimpse into how the ask method works to really understand your market at a deep emotional level, to figure out the pain points to touch on, to figure out how to articulate your product and to figure out what it is to actually create. It's
1: so, it's, it's so good because, so one of the things on our live chat on our website, when people come, so our program for the most part is called The Replaceable Founder. And when people come to the website, the chat pops up and says, are you interested in becoming more
2: replaceable? And it works,
1: it works really well. People say a lot of things, but based on what you just said, I'm gonna now test saying, what's the most frustrating thing for you about growing your business?
2: Totally, something um, like that, you know? And that question will give, you, will give you clues to, to go deeper and find the pain points. And then from that question, you might find a theme that comes up and then, then that becomes your question, the, the theme, the thing that you keep saying over and over again. And it just, it's just, I, I liken it to peeling away layers of the onion and at the center of that onion is truth. And this is something that I say to our, our, our students, I say the faster you get to the truth, the faster you get to the cash, and that's true. It's all about seeking the truth. Hey, it's Ari, I just want to take a quick break from this amazing episode
0: to give you some valuable information. If you're feeling frustrated in your business or overwhelmed at all, we have a program called The Replaceable Founder. And the goal is to make it so that you can focus on what you do best, have the flexibility to work how, where, and when you want so you can be most effective, and have the freedom to explore, contribute, and even leave the business without it failing in your absence. If that sounds like something that would be interesting to you, go to less.do slash podcast to find out more. Now let's get back to the episode.
1: So in choosing the business, and I mean, this is a leading question, I understand this, so don't worry. <laughs> um, in choosing the business, right? It, it sounds like what you're shortcutting people to, right? It's like, this is going to help you get to the point where you make a lot of money. Right. And, and we all say that like, that might not be the the necessarily main goal for some people. Obviously we want to sustain lifestyle stuff. So what are the four types of people that want to start their own businesses?
2: Yeah. You know, so, so hallmark of the ask method is identifying the different buckets that exist in every market. And one of the things I discovered in working with people who are at the stage right now where they might not have a business, or they have a business that they don't love and they want to start a new business, or they're just someone who they want to be their own boss, they want to start their own thing, um, they, uh, they want to, they want to, they want to you know, start their own company. Is there four different types of entrepreneurs? So the first type is, is what I call mission-based. And so mission-based entrepreneurs are, uh, they're really tied to um, like a particular mission. So for example, um, one of the uh, stories I share in the book is Christy Kennedy. So Christy is someone who had a son who was bullied in school and her husband was bullied when he was a child growing up. And she just saw that bullying was becoming this epidemic in elementary school. And she decided she wanted to do something about it. So she founded this company called be friendly and basically it became this, this traveling um, assembly that would go from school to school around the country, uh, talking about how to fight bullying and teaching both kids and students and uh, um, and teachers and administrators alike. Well, it's now served something like 10,000 schools around the country. It's incredible the traction that she's gotten. she's gotten. And it all came down to this mission that she had deep in her, in her heart, really. Um, and so mission-based entrepreneurs, if, if, if you're a mission-based entrepreneur, you're listening to this, typically you're the type of person who has a, a cause you would die on the hill for. So you've got something that you believe so fervently that you wanna make it your mission. Fighting breast cancer, eradicating bullying. Now conversely, you have passion-based entrepreneurs. Now passion-based entrepreneurs are a little different. Mission-based entrepreneurs wanna move people away from something negative. Passion-based entrepreneurs wanna move people to something positive. So passion-based entrepreneurs are like Charlie Wallace. Charlie's a traveling musician, toured Europe, realized that as a touring musician, he was totally broke. So to make a little bit of extra money, he decided to teach guitar lessons online, built a little website, took that business to $2.5 million a year called guitar mastery, uh, guitar mastery Online.com, I think is the URL, I might have that wrong. Um, but the long story short, his passion was playing guitar. And I share the story of how he was living on a, uh, you know, sleeping on a, on a, on a bed on the floor. And now he has a, a dream mansion with his recording studio. Uh, he's been able to uh, uh, employ his entire bands <laughs> that work in the business with him. Um, and so his passion is guitar. Third type of entrepreneur are people who don't necessarily have a specific mission or passion, but they're really drawn to specific opportunity. So opportunity-based entrepreneurs are the type of people who they see something in the world and they say to themselves, why hasn't someone fixed that? Like, why hasn't someone like built something like that? Um, And they're drawn to it. So that would be like Dana Obelman, Dana and her husband, Mike, they had young kiddos, kiddos weren't sleeping through the night. They got frustrated. They looked online. They said, there's no information, good information on how to get your kids to sleep through the night. Like if you think about when your kids were, you know, at that age, right, it kills the house, right? No one's getting sleep. Everyone's still are. (laughs) <laughs> so, okay, so you know what it's like, Dad. So, um, so, anyway, so they built a business, and they've been around for about 10, 15 years now, sleepsense.net. And they've helped something like 100,000 uh, parents around the world. Um, they've been on Good Morning America, and they have a sleep methodology that they teach to help parents get their kids sleeping through the night. And so Dana was an opportunity based. She saw this opportunity, and she decided to pursue it. And then the fourth type is actually where I was when I got started. I find a lot of people are in this fourth category, and it's simply undecided. So I was an undecided entrepreneur. I knew I wanted to start my own business, but I really had no idea what. The only thing I knew is I wanted to be my own boss. I wanted to take control of my own destiny. I wanted a business that was location independent so we could travel. Um, I didn't want to be tied to a specific location. I wanted, the, I wanted freedom, financial freedom, but I had no idea what business to start. And for people in that situation, one of the things I, I recommend in the book is to start with what we call practice business. I think for a lot of us, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves that whatever first business you start, has gotta be like your life's work. Like that's the thing you're gonna be doing like 30 years from now. What I find is that most successful entrepreneurs, if you ask them, like if if you told your story, and I know your listeners know your story, but if you told your story, there's all the little things you've done along the way, right, like the little side hustles that you had, the things that led to the thing, and it, it wasn't the final thing, but it's the thing that leads to the thing. And so I tell people, don't let analysis paralysis take over, just, start with something and actually focus on the process instead of the outcome. Focus on the process of starting the business, figuring out what to sell, and use that vehicle. The thing that unlocked it for me is I said, whatever money I invest in my practice business, Ari, is just tuition. I could go to business school, which I didn't do. I could go to business school, spend quarter million dollars to go to a top business school, or I could invest a tiny fraction of that in my business and probably learn arguably as much just by doing and when I treated it as tuition, I said, if I put $25,000 into tuition, I'm probably gonna learn more than if I'm sitting in a classroom all day learning business theory. And so- uh, It's such a good way to frame it, honestly. For the undecided, it's a, it's a great approach.
1: It's such a, such a good way to frame it. So um, Dan Sullivan, you know, strategic coach, he always says like, there's no there's no cost, there's only investments, and there could be bad investments and good investments, but that's a really, really cool way of putting it, I think, is tuition. Totally. Um, now, and I don't want to I don't want to downplay the others, but to me, in your descriptions, the opportunity-based one to me sounds like the the tr- the truest entrepreneurial one, right? Like, um, because there is a difference, right, between being an entrepreneur and owning your own job, and there's no there's nothing wrong, but I do right. think there's a distinction. So, again, I mean, to me, like that opportunity-based one feels like the most entrepreneurial.
2: I think it is. I mean, it's the one with the most. So, if you're drawn to, so you listen to these descriptions. And by the way, we have a um, there's an entire assessment. It's in the book. You can actually take this assessment for free. Um, the, the website, if do you mind if I share the website, for the yeah, website? Yeah, please, yeah. it's, it's choosequiz.com. And so it helps you choose what type of business to start based on your personality, which we haven't even talked about, uh, identify what type of product you should sell, um, helps you identify what type of business to start based on the resources you have. So how much money you have to start your business, um, based on your lifestyle goals, what's more important to you, um, what type of freedom that you want to make sure you preserve. So to your point, you don't create a job for yourself, right? You're yeah. creating the thing that's going to give you the lifestyle that you want to lead. And, and to your point, Ari, you know, the truest form of entrepreneur is absolutely what you're saying. You look around, you see something, you see this opportunity, and you pursue it. But of all these options, there's for most people, there's one that typically stands out. And if more than one stands out, that's okay too. You have a mission that you, you're drawn to, you're like, this is my thing. This is my life's mission. And I wanna, I wanna do something with this. You have a passion that you wanna inject and, and 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 spend all day, every day doing it, whether it's arts or fishing or guitar. Um, you know, are you the type of person that has like those million things that you see? Like, why hasn't someone created this? In that case, you're probably opportunity based and the truest, purest form of entrepreneur. Or maybe you're listening to this right now and you're like, I would love to make ten thousand dollars a month. I just have no idea where to even begin. Like, I just right. that's all I know. I want. And whatever bucket you fall into, it's it's fine. Like, it's it just it starts with self awareness and knowing that can help lead to what type of business to start. And that's a journey that we um, that, that I take people through in in the uh, in the book. So is there a benefit because um, this is one that's always fascinating to me, uh, as
1: entrepreneurial companies that have people working in them that are not necessarily entrepreneurial. Um, I'm gonna have to make sure I frame this the right way. Like so when we t- when we teach a replaceable founder, we want people to be as replaceable as possible, but we actually want everybody to be as replaceable as possible so that they can replace themselves up, essentially. Right. So it, I, I would see this as something really beneficial for people that actually do work in an entrepreneurial kind of company to understand uh, and, and how they fit into that entrepreneurial mission, whether they are the entrepreneur or not.
2: You know, I think there's there, there benefits for a few reasons, right? So, so one of the things, the biggest mistake that I see people make, and I think people who are looking to be, call them intrapreneurs or entrepreneurs yeah. within an organization. So we've got two, two categories, the true entrepreneur, the person who wants to be their own boss, start their own thing. And then the entrepreneur who wants to be part of a, a team, part of an organization, but have um, freedom within that to be entrepreneurial, the, the, the single biggest mistake, the single biggest reason why uh, people fail is a lot of the conventional wisdom is focused around answering the wrong, the wrong question. So when people come into this, they want to start their own business, they want to do their own thing. People tend to focus on asking what? What should I build? What should I create? What should I focus on? When really the first question that you want to be focusing on, this is what I talk about in the book is who who are you going to serve now whether your who is the ultimate end customer that you are going to serve for the business that you're starting or the who is the the customer that the uh, the company you're thinking about working at or being part of is looking to serve that's the thing to focus on that is the, and that's where people get it wrong they focus all on what and they forget about the who the what is important eventually we get to it but it all starts with that who because it all starts with people it all starts with who do you want to serve um, and I take people through, uh, there are certain things you want to be looking for. So one of the ones that we talked about already, the first of what I call the five market must haves is, is looking for that evergreen market, right? So, um, and this is true if you're an entrepreneur looking for a company to work for. So I'll give you a perfect example of this. And I share this in the, um, in the book, there's, there's a, there's a great tool that we can all use. We've many of us has probably, have probably used it before. Maybe not in this exact context. It's called Google trends. So Google trends is a free tool that Google put out. It's been out, I believe since 2006. Um, and it's a tool that uh, tracks keyword volume. So you can look at the keyword volume as a gauge of interest on certain topics. And there are certain topics that you'll look and the keyword volume has basically been stable for the last 10, 12 years. And then there are other markets where it's not been stable. And so one of the um, uh, the cautionary tales that I share is Bitcoin. So if you remember, probably about a little over a year ago, uh, dating from the time of this interview, maybe a little bit more than that now, Bitcoin was like a massive, everyone was talking about Bitcoin. Um, And if you look at the keyword volume on Google, it corresponds very tightly with the price of Bitcoin. So everyone was making a killing on Bitcoin on paper. And then one day Bitcoin started to drop like a rock and everybody stopped talking about Bitcoin. And you can see that in the keyword search volume. And so the thing to be careful about is diving into a fad market like that. On a small, smaller scale, the Scrabble Tile jewelry was the, was the thing. So when you're looking at starting a business, the first thing you want to be looking for is that evergreen market. You want to be looking for orchid care, right? You want to be looking for guitar. You want to be looking for things like that that are going to be around. Got, guys and girls are going to be playing guitar 50 years from now. They're playing guitar 50 years ago. Um, so that's the first, first thing to be, to be looking for. And there are four others. There are four other things that I talk about that you want to look for that are the absolute must haves when, when uh, starting a business or even working for a company and looking at the market that they serve. And, and I mean, if you could, you know, enumerate them, you know, you can give, you know, a quick synopsis of each one. So first is evergreen. Second is enthusiast, right? So an enthusiast market is a market that people uh, you can sell multiple products to the same customer over and over again. So that is in, in contrast with the problem solution market. Problem solution market would be something like um, would be something like uh, mold removal, right, or flood damage, right. So you hire a mold re- removal company. You don't want to sign up for a mold removal email list. There are no clubs online for people who are fans of mold removal. Um, but if you sell someone something in the dog market, for example, like maybe potty training your puppy, you can acquire a customer for life. You think about all the crazy things that people buy for their dogs. I have a dog, so I'm one of these crazy people um, from you know, dog uh, obedience, dog training, potty training, all the physical products from dog carriers to dog Christmas ornaments, to doggy rugs, <laughs> to treats, to pet insurance, to collars, to clothes. I mean, the list goes on. People, people spend crazy amounts of money. And when you can focus on uh, uh, becoming the guide, the trusted advisor in that market, you have a customer for life. So you're looking for an enthusiast market where people buy over and over again, so it's the second thing. Third thing is you're looking to solve an urgent problem in the context of that enthusiast market. That's the first thing you wanna focus on solving. This is a, a, a definitely a writer-downer. So you can't go into the dog market and sell doggy mugs as the first thing. It's a really hard uh, road to follow. Instead, you wanna follow and find what is an urgent problem people are looking to solve. So in the orchid care market, it's the flowers are falling off my orchid. My orchid's dying. How do I, how do I save it? It's an urgent problem that people go online and they want to spend money. They, they'll spe- they're willing to spend money to solve in the dog training market would be my dog won't stop peeing on the rug. Nope. It's killing me in the, in the sleep training market. It's my kid won't sleep through the night. I'm going to kill myself. Right. You're looking for that urgent problem that people need to solve right here, right now, because they're not price sensitive to solving that problem. They want to solve it now. And if you solve it for them, you become their trusted advisor for life, because they say, Ari, you saved my life, what else can you do for me? So that's a third thing, urgent problem. Fourth thing is you wanna look for future problems. You wanna make sure you're in a market where when you solve that first problem for them, you get them success, that there's something else that you can solve for them down the road. So in the dog training market, it's like you solved the potty training problem, this is awesome, thank you so much. But now, like uh, at our house, I just left for our studio, the dog was going crazy because the pool guy was there cleaning the, cleaning the pool. So that's the thing is like, how do you get the dog to stop barking when there's someone outside? That's the next problem to solve. So there are future problems in that market. And the last one, and this one's important, is, is, is number five. It's, it's a phrase that I learned from the late, great Gary Halbert, who's, who's regarded as one of the greatest copywriters of all time. And um, it's a phrase that I've always internalized and, he, and, and it's looking for markets that have what are called PWMs. Which stands for players with money. You want people that spend, not necessarily are millionaires or billionaires, but these are people that in this area of their life, they spend a disproportionate amount of money. You see it, right? Golf is the classic quintessential example. People spend ungodly sums of money to play golf on golf vacations, golf trips around the world, on golf equipment, uh, rounds of golf, golf, you know, all sorts of different things. Um, hunting, fishing, all have PWMs. And so you want to be looking for the evidence of this. And, and I walk through the process to how to make sure your market before you go into it is evergreen, is an enthusiast market, has evidence of that urgent problem, has future problems. And number five has evidence of PWMs, players with money.
1: So how are, other than the books, how are some other ways that people get to work with you
2: and the ask method? You know, the book is a great, great starting place, right? So we have, um, so we have the book, obviously we have, I have you know, multiple books now. We have online courses that take people through this process for those who want to go in a little bit more detail, a um, little bit more handholding. And, you know, we just finished, we have a, also a business coaching program where we actually coach people through the process. If you want a little bit more handholding um, through the entire process of what business should you start to starting that business, to getting your first sale, to then scaling that first sale to thousands, tens of thousands, and hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, and beyond uh, a year. So we have really something at, for someone at every level. If you just want to get started, get your feet wet, read the book, kind of learn, go through the process on your own, all the way to someone who wants hand-holding, a personal coach, getting on the phone every single week to walk through this entire process and really everything in between. Um,
1: so a couple, two more questions. So one is... Uh, and I, cause I always think this is really interesting for people who listen to the podcast to understand what it's like for people who have achieved success. Mm-hmm. So what is the most frustrating thing about growing your business right now, Ryan?
2: Most frustrating thing about growing the business right now. You know, I'd say what's, what's interesting. The thing that nobody talks about is when I had a, when we had a smaller team. So our team right now, uh, across a couple of businesses is about 60 people, right? So we have 60 full-time team members. Um, and what people don't realize is that if you can actually be small and nimble and be more profitable than you can being large and, and, and growth, you know, so you see these companies that are growing that have high top level revenue, and it's not, it doesn't always necessarily mean that they're more profitable, making more money than smaller businesses. There are plateaus that you need to break through, right? You need to break through certain plateaus to get to that next level. And there are peaks and troughs along the way. And I think for, for me, this is my, this is my first rodeo. Like I, it's not like I built a a 200 person company and now I'm doing it again. So, um, what's frustrating, I think is you think you've got it figured out. And one of my mentors likes to say new level, new devil. And there's always a new devil around the corner. And I think that's the most frustrating thing is you just don't quite know what it is. At the same time, it's incredibly uh, challenging, stimulating. Um, it's like a sport. It's like a game. It's a lot of fun. Um, so it's, uh, it's frustrating, but at the same time, I think that frustrating yields breakthroughs and, um, sure there are moments where I say, it would just be so much easier just to just be on a beach right now. Um, and there are other moments where I see people breaking through, like we just had our 200 person coaching events, uh, this past weekend. And Ari, one of the things that like I almost lost it on stage, we went through this activity, we took people through and, um, uh, this whole activity. And I said, all right, if you just made your first sale online today. I want you to stand up. And 30 people in that room made their first sale ever. And you know what it's like, man, right? Like you remember that. That's like the best thing ever. Forever, you you carry that memory forever. We all remember our first sale. And it put the hair on the back of my neck and made it stand up and it makes it all worth it to see that, because I know that's the start. And Some of those people, that may be the only sale they ever make, but most of those people, it's gonna be the start from one to 10, 10 to 100, 100 to 1,000. And a year from now, two years from three years from now, because I've been doing this long enough, I've seen people go from startup, $100,000 a year, half a million dollars a year, to having 000, 000 a million dollar year. Like I've seen that progression. And that for me, I tell people, I said, the whole reason why I do what I do is because three years from now, I want you and I to have a moment together where you, we get to say, remember where you were three years ago? Remember in that room? Remember you made that first sale? Dude, look at what you've freaking done now. I live for that moment. Like I live to, that's the high, that's my drug. Like that's my, that's my heroin. Yeah. That's my cocaine. I live for that moment because that creates a high and just, it's so, it's so fun. So that's why I get to, I do what I do. And it's, um, I feel blessed to be able to, to be in this, uh, in this work. That's great. Okay. So then the last question I always like to
1: ask is, what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective?
2: Great. Top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective. I've got. Um, Cool. Um, a, a couple. So these are a couple of things I talk about in the book as well. So one of the pieces of advice is something that my parents taught me. And my parents, uh, I grew up blue, blue collar. Neither of my parents went to college. My dad worked nights his entire life. My mom, and I tell this story, cut hair in the basement of our house. And so uh, for me, I went to an you know, Ivy League school and first to graduate from college and, and all that thing. So it was, it was a big deal for my parents. So they didn't They couldn't teach me much about business and succeeding in college, but they gave me some foundational kind of Pieces of wisdom that have stuck with me forever, and one of those pieces of wisdom is, you know, my dad used to say that you only need two things: courage and grit. That's it, and it's the same wisdom I passed to my my kids. And so, when you see people like Ari and other guests, you know, having a lot of success, and I'll speak from my own experience, it's not about not being afraid. Like, there's a lot of things that I do that I'm afraid of doing. Um, Courage is doing the thing that scares you in spite of that fear, and then grit is you're going to fall on your knees. You're going to skin your knees. And I tell my kids this all the time, right? I say, it's not about falling on your knees. You're going to fall on your knees. You're going to mess up. It's all good. It's what happens to you after you fall on your knees and pick yourself up. And I would be willing to say that's, those are the only two ingredients that I have. And it's the only two ingredients that you need, courage and grit. That'd be the first thing. Second thing, it's a final piece of advice I love to leave people with, is you don't have to get it perfect. You just have to get it going. I think there's this sense that when you're starting a business, it's like perfection paralysis. There's so many things that I do that um, are... Um, just that make me cringe. I put it out there and close my eyes because I know that's the path, right? We're doing this challenge right now in, in my coaching in my coaching group, and it's the daily push-up. Started doing it with my kids, my, my four-year-old and my seven-year-old. And uh, we started out, we started doing 10 push-ups on our first day. And every day, we want to add one push-up a day to get to 100 pushups, And we're going to get there. And right now, as of today, today was day 34. And I showed the calendar, I showed the videos, I showed the photos. And at the end of this thing, I, you know, I said, who thinks I'm going to get to 100? every single person in that room raised their hand. I said, why? Why do you believe that? Because people try to take on too much. They try to get it perfect out of the gate. They try to do a hundred pushups on their first day instead of that incremental progress like that. And what's so cool is that over hundred people in that group are now doing that daily pushup with me. And it's not about the pushups. It's about this mindset of daily incremental improvement, Kaizen, so, so that's the second thing. The third thing that I'll leave people with that I'll leave you with piece of advice is this. When you're studying a mentor, an advisor, someone that you look up to, especially in business, the big mistake that people make is they study what that person is doing now instead of what that person was doing when they're at the same spot you're at right now. So they study Mark Cuban, what he's doing now. No, don't study Mark Cuban now. Study Cuban when he was living in his car and he was just getting started out. Whoever, whoever you you hate Cuban, you love, whoever it is, study your person, whoever it is, pay attention to what they were doing at that very moment and that's going to give you the clues to success and so those would be my final pieces of advice courage and grit you don't have to get it perfect you just have to get it going and study your mentors based on where they are at when you are where you are right now Absolutely excellent,
1: Ryan. Thank you so much. Um, so, what's the URL you want to send people to so they can find out more and pick up the book? And
2: yeah, well, you know, so it's really cool. As you and I talked earlier, and um, we put together a special link where you can get a free copy of the book, uh, Choose, which we've been talking about. So, it's about everything we've been covering. And the uh, the URL, I'll make sure I've got this right. The URL for that book is really simple it's choose the book.com forward slash less doing. And when you go to that link specifically, not only can you get a free copy of the book, hardcover, I'll ship it to you anywhere in the world. Just pay a few dollars shipping and handling. Um, we also have $200 of bonuses that we're including. Uh, you get the audiobook for free. We're just kind of including that. Um, talking about mindset, this last question that you asked me, uh, mindset tips for starting your business, um, and a whole bunch of other really cool stuff. 25 lucrative niches for 2019. So trying to figure out what business to start. Um, all this good stuff, choose the book.com forward slash less doing just for you. Thank you so much, Ryan. That was great. Awesome. appreciate it, man. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing Podcast.
0: At Less Doing, we help entrepreneurs who have opportunity in excess of what their infrastructure can support to set up systems and processes that empower a team to ultimately make themselves more replaceable. That way, they can optimize, automate, and outsource everything in their businesses in order to be more effective. If you want to find out more about Less Doing, the podcast, the blog, the books, and all of the wonderful programs we offer to help you get from where you are to where you know you want to be, go to lessdoing.com slash podcast and check out our OAO blueprint so you can get started today.